today we're going to continue our sermon series entitled The Nine. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and today we're going to talk about goodness. What does it mean to walk in the fruit of goodness? To be honest with you guys, today this is a heavy message. Um, one I've prayed for courage with to, to preach, because when you are talking about goodness, you must talk about evil. And so I ask in any heavy matters, heavy topics we talk about today, that you would ask yourself the question, what does the scripture say on the matters that we talk about? Is my heart submitted to the Holy Spirit in these matters? And really, is my life submitted to the will of God in these areas? And so even though we're talking about goodness and that might seem like a lighter topic, it actually gets real weighty because we're contrasting goodness with evil. To talk about goodness is to recognize that there's much evil and wrongdoing in the world. And so I would pray that you would um, let each topic, each thing talked about, that you would weigh it according to the scriptures and allow it to produce the fruit of goodness in your life. One thing I have not done well in my preaching ministry at Restoration Road is um, correctly or helpfully decipher between what it means to not earn your salvation by good works versus what it means to be saved onto good works. So let me explain this to you. Sometimes I've wrongly said everyone's bad people. When I say everyone's bad, no one's good. I'm saying no one's perfect. Only Jesus was perfect. I think we all would attest that, right? It's a dramatic way to say we're all bad people. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's a real truth in that. None of us will be saved because of our good works or because we're good people. God doesn't save people because they're good. There's a real truth in there. It's the gospel of grace. But in my efforts to drive that point home, sometimes I'm creating a false dichotomy for you where we don't understand that we're saved unto good works. That there is a helpful way to say someone's a good person and someone's a bad person. I think the more I study, you can biblically say, and we'll unpack this, that someone walks in the fruit of goodness and someone can walk in the works of the flesh. That someone is a good person and someone is a bad person the way we define that in culture. So I, I feel like I need to clear that up. So we are not saved by our good works. It's not, no one is going to boast in heaven because they were the good people and saved themselves. But we are saved onto good works to walk in the goodness of Christ in a manner be good Christians and be good people who do good in the world. Amen? And so that's something we really need to fight for because we're taking the fuel away from some of us that God has placed in us a desire for justice. We're made in the image of God. The Holy Spirit has indwelt in us. Part of our fuel is to do good and to fight evil and to do justice. And we, if we only say, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, we're missing the aim that causes us to wake up, get out of bed and say, I want to fight for good and the goodness to find by our Savior Jesus. So I want to put a healthy, Holy Spirit-empowered good aim in you to live for good things today. And so hopefully this helps clear up some unhelpful communication by me in the past, but you see 
I'm saved by grace, but I'm saved to live in a good manner and do good to fight evil. So today we're going to focus on three things. Why does the fruit of goodness, or what does the fruit of goodness, rather, look like in a Christian's life? Why should we cultivate goodness in our life? And how do we cultivate goodness in our life? Those three questions. So let's start here with a simple definition out of my ESV study Bible. That's how far I went for this definition because I felt it was so simple and so powerful. Goodness means working for the benefits, for the benefit of others, not for yourself. Goodness means working for the benefit of others, not for yourself. This definition is so important, especially in the culture, that it's constantly be promoted and taught to us in a secular culture to obsess over yourself, to live for yourself. That the greatest journey of goodness is self-realization, self-exploration, and self-journey. That's what's being taught in the secular, narcissistic culture. Every billboard, every story, and when I say every, I'm talking in dramatic terms. But many stories, many billboards, many life philosophies are obsessed over yourself. How you can serve your needs, what is self-serving, what is to your greatest benefit. It's so important when we think about goodness, it's about working for the benefit of others rooted in Christ Jesus. Goodness cannot be found in self-realization. Goodness is not found on your own self-journey. Goodness is found on helping someone else out on their journey. It's not an undying commitment to yourself. It's an undying commitment to others that is good. And it's so easy, and I understand the battle to get caught up in ourselves. This is why Paul contrasts the works of the flesh, which is absolute self Indulgent to the uh, self-indulgence to the detriment of our neighbor. But Paul says, don't be led by your flesh. Be led by the Spirit will cause you to live in a good manner for the benefit of others. And he gives four things in this chapter that is so crucial to your joy, so crucial, crucial to living a life to the glory of God, and so crucial to walking in the fruit of goodness. The first thing he says is bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. The selfish man does not want to bear anyone's burden but his own for his own profit. But the spirit empowered child of God is led by the spirit to live his life to carry the burdens of others to take as much responsibility that he possibly can to care for others, to carry as much weight as he can in prayer and care and labor and love for his neighbor. To be good is to live a life of responsibility where you're constantly growing and pushing in the grace of God to carry as much responsibility to love your neighbor. That needs to be done in increments. You build up what you can lift and what you can carry. And sometimes you fall and you learn and you grow. But your main aim is to bear one another's burdens. 
many people, and it's a question I've asked myself, they say, why does it seem like sometimes people are better outside the church than in the church? It's a question that I've asked myself. It's a real question. Because many times inside the church, we act out a self-serving gospel that is just us consuming what we can consume instead of giving all we can give. And outside the church, even if people don't have faith, many times they adopt a lifestyle according to a different philosophy where at least they're trying to meet people's felt needs. For example, they may have no faith and be secular, but they're trying to help the homeless. They're trying to meet felt needs. There's goodness in that. There's not goodness that leads to, it's not gospel goodness, but we're all made the image of God, and we can even bear the image of goodness in some ways that are not salvific. Big theological word for you there. So people outside the church can adopt a lifestyle where saying, I'm going to live for the benefit of others, not rooted in Christ, but I'm going to help the homeless. I'm going to help the poor. I'm going to help the oppressed. I'm going to live a life that benefits others in felt needs. What I want RR to be all about is I don't want us to act out a self-serving gospel, but a self-giving gospel that's rooted in Jesus giving everything. So we say, how can we bear one another's burdens? How can I come here and bear your burden? How can I live for your benefit? How can I show you Christ? How can I be there when you're in need? How can I speak grace when you feel like God can't forgive you for that sin? How can I help you see Jesus? That is good and Paul gives that in that passage I was supposed to read you about three chapters before I sounded this message but I was so fired up I just started preaching but let me tell you this stuff I'm saying it was in the passage I was supposed to read you and I'll mess up the flow if I read all of Galatians right now but if you want to know this is Galatians five sixteen through chapter 6 verses 1 through 10 that's the portion of scripture we are covering today the second thing paul says in this portion of scripture that your pastor should have read to you it says share good things with those god has called to teach you he starts defining good and this is a little uncomfortable when your pastor saying this but many people in our culture would say it's bad to care for your teachers to give financially the care for those who teach you God says it is good to take care of financially and monetarily, both the same. They would give food to care for those who taught them. And I won't stay there long, but this is something he put in the text. It is good to care for those who are called to oversee the care of your souls. Paul says this, the third thing he says, don't grow weary in doing good. Let me tell you what it means to do good. It is an exhausting work. It is an exhausting work to do good. It is tiresome, and and Paul knew that. Paul gave his life. He was left for dead. He was tired. Sometimes he ate. Sometimes he had abundance of food. Sometimes he had somewhere to live. Sometimes he had nowhere to live. But his whole life, he worked to do good for others, and it was exhausting. Some of the most tired people in this world are people who live for good because they're living for the benefits of others even when it means they're exhausted sometimes. 
And the Apostle Paul says, don't you grow weary in doing good because you will receive a reward. I want to say that to many, my brothers and sisters in Christ who are doing good here at Restoration Road. Don't you grow weary in doing good. Don't you dare. Because there's a reward for those who do good unto the body of Christ. An eternal reward. You ask, what is the reward? And this is an important thing that we have to hold on to in the Christian faith. Most likely, more often than not, you won't be rewarded in this life. If you want rewards in this life, Jesus said you can follow the Pharisees. He didn't say they weren't rewarded. He said the reward stops here. He said they wanted the praise of man. They're going to get the praise of man. But the reward stops here. In the Christian ethic, the church was built upon people who gave their lives with the cornerstone of Jesus Christ so that others could have life. And Jesus' reward was the greatest name above all. Amen? The apostles' rewards were, they were known as men of goodness and greatness because they were willing to lay it all down to the benefit of others, leaving families behind, leaving their futures behind. They said it's an honor to give up this life for the reward that Jesus has waiting for me. This is the promise that the scripture allows me to encourage you in today. If you live in a good manner, there are greater rewards for you in heaven. Now, that's a mystery. See, some people don't understand. Yes, we're all saved by grace, but there's greater and there's lesser in the kingdom of heaven. I don't fully understand it theologically. I just know that Jesus said it. And it's according to the good we do here on earth. Those who live lives to greater benefit, to the greater benefit of mankind, of their brothers and sisters in Christ, will be rewarded greater in heaven. And those who live in selfish manner will be much less in the kingdom of heaven, where it even says to some teachers, listen, if you relax the commands of God, he didn't say you're out of heaven. He said you're the least in the kingdom of heaven. I think that sometimes we have trouble deciphering between that. We're like throwing people out of heaven and in heaven. We don't understand this greater and there's less in heaven according to who becomes the greatest servant here on earth. Very important when it comes to goodness. And finally, he says, do good to everyone, but hear the bullseye here, especially to the household of faith. You always start at home with doing good. You don't take care of everyone else's family if you can't take care of your own. We call those people bad people, right? Not loving people. The hardest place to start loving is at home. With the letdowns, with everyone's a sinner in the house. Right? That's the hardest place to love. It's easy to love those that you don't know as deeply than those in your family because you know the faults, you know the weaknesses, you know the letdowns. So you start at home loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. I just, this is the bullseye right here. I just started doing archery, and you guys know my personality. I do something for three weeks, I act like I'm a master at it. There's something wrong with me, right? I do it for three weeks, you know, I'm like, you know how I do. I'm an archer. I'm an archer. Someone gave me a bow, I'm an archer. So I've shot four times, but in my mind, I can shoot a, a deer, a turkey, an intruder from 100 yards, dead shot. But I'll tell you what I do know, you try to hit the bullseye. Not that good at it yet, 
But I got this little target in my backyard that I keep shooting at. And I'm trying to hit the bullseye. What I don't do is go in the backyard and just start just shooting arrows in my neighborhood. I need to know where to aim. Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is telling you where to aim, telling us where to aim our goodness. He says, start with your local church. Not only start, that is the primary place you do goodness. It's to your brother and sister in Christ where the Holy Spirit has called you. That's the bullseye. That's the bullseye. It's a very intimate thing to be called to a local church together, just like it's called to a family. That's an intimate thing. We're called to know each other and care for each other and bleed for one another and carry each other's burden and pray for one another and do good to one another. That's the fruit of goodness. So we get a good, from the text, example of what goodness looks like there. It's working for the benefit of others, starting and primarily in the body of Christ. Not to the detriment that we don't do good to everyone in the world, but you don't start doing good in the world to the detriment of your family. It's an overflow. Where you hit the bullseye, and you shoot for the bullseye, and sometimes the arrow's going to go here and there, but your primary goodness is with your family and then to the world to care for everyone. Now, why would we do this? And this is going to get real heavy right here, guys. We're going to talk about some things we've never talked about in the life of this church. It's going to be heavy because I, we need to talk about evil, and I can't be a cowardly preacher to you today. You'd be amazed how much my nature wants to be a cowardly preacher. But we must speak about evil today. I want to ask you this, because it's part of why do we cultivate goodness, the fruit of goodness, the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Do you hate evil? So thankful we at least have one Pentecostal in this church. I'm Pentecostal myself. You can take the boy out of the Pentecostal. You never take the Pentecostal out of the boy. Why do you hate evil? And a big question at the end here, how would you define evil? How would you define evil? I would speculate, of course, we all say we hate evil. Even further, we would give the answer because of the destruction maybe in uh, different um, varieties, we'd say the destruction that evil causes. But I would propose that many of us have an unbalanced and a light, maybe light's not the right word, we have an unbalanced view of evil, that evil is only extreme cases of evil. For example, all these things are horrendous acts of evil when there's acts of terrorism, terrorism, mass murder, rape, we would say, is a horrible evil. School shootings, with many lives lost, we say those absolutely evil, and they are. They're tremendous evil, horrible evil. But my fear is that our definition of evil stops there. Not in the things which the Bible defines as evil that actually keep people out of the kingdom of God. They're so evil. You know how evil something has to be that it keeps you out of the kingdom of God? And it was defined in the works of the flesh that I will just 
read to you right now as part of the portion of today's scripture. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And please hear this right now. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Would you define those things I just read as evil? And let's talk through a couple of them. Do you look as hatred of your brother and sister as absolute evil? Any person made in the image of God, do you see hating them as an absolute act of evil? Now, I'm not just talking just your brothers and sisters in Christ, but also those who uh, uh, disagree with you on things you hold so closely. Those of different religions and those of different um, political views and those who have committed great crimes. Do you look at hate as something that is absolutely evil? Secondly, do you look at sexual immorality as absolutely evil? Is there something on the screen? What? The what? Oh, it's getting serious. I didn't even ask them to put it up there. I hope they click something back there. I saw everyone looking. I was like, what happened? And the most serious part. Do you look at sexual immorality as something that is absolutely evil? Or have you adopted the norm of the time that looks that unbiblical sexual acts are okay? Because of progression, and because the Bible's outdated, and because morality is not morality, as the scripture has said. I want to ask you that today. Because sexual immorality, as the scripture says, is something that is so wrong and sinful, it keeps people out of the kingdom of God. And Apostle Paul and the Holy Spirit wants us to feel the weight of that because that's a work of the flesh. How about fits of anger? Do you take lightly when you lose it? Is that just something that people do? I just lose it and I yell out all kind of hateful and angry things and I throw a few things and I have a fit of anger, but that just happens once in a while to people. Or is that something that you look at as evil? Why do I bring these things up with such a heavy and important tone? Because the word of God brings life even in the heavy places. Sometimes the best 
It's when we learn from these places where our heart is moved to think about the things that, the evils that we don't hate. Because in Amos 5.15, it says, hate evil and love good. And if we want to grow in the fruit of goodness, we've got to learn to hate these things. Now, let me temper this, please, because my fear would be that you say, I hate this, and you use a work of the flesh to combat a work of the flesh. So I hate sexual immorality, so I'm going to go home and have a fit of anger on social media. You can't defeat evil with evil. You can't. You put light on darkness. You don't come in with more darkness. You overcome evil with good, not with more works of the flesh. But we've got to hate evil. And as the passage said that I was supposed to read to you, correct people in the spirit of gentleness. Because that is good. Not divisions, not rivalries, not contentions politically or any other way, but with a spirit of goodness that is rooted in the Holy Spirit. Please see this and please hear this. Now I'll bring up something that I believe is an evil right now that we, I'm not sure we've ever talked about this in our church life. But I think it's important because I want to get to the definition of good and help you decipher between what is good and what is evil according to the definition of goodness is working for the benefit of others, not yourself. I believe abortion is absolute evil. I've never said that at this church because I was waiting for the scriptures to bring me there and for the appropriate time, and I feel like it's today because of what's going on in our culture right now. When people are cheering for victories, for late-term abortion, you know that the culture is starting to call evil good. And we cannot be cowards. Now, please hear me that tempered this. It's not time to have a fit of anger over it, but it's not a time also to be a coward and not talk about the whys abortion is so evil. And let me try to help you think about the whys. And as you unpack this question for yourself, I'm sure the Holy Spirit will lead you to places to give the why. Because we need to be able to have conversations with people about this without yelling at people and loving people and not hating them because of where they stand. Because that's anti-Christian. The why Abortion is not good and it is evil because it is the ultimate betrayal of one of the most intimate and sacred relationships there are between mother and child. God designed a relationship between a mother and child to be something that is good. Where the mom nurtures, teaches em empathy, shows love, cares for this child. And to be a mom is one of the most sacrificial things you can do. You lose much, even though you gain much. You begin to live your life for another image bearer of God. So when God Almighty gifts a woman's womb with a child made in his image, and that woman alone or the woman and the man deciding 
to take that child's life to the benefit of herself, that is why I define it as absolute evil. And I pray that you look at the whys in that too. Now, some of us may have had abortions in here. The grace of God and the blood of Christ covers you fully. Please hear that. I say that not to bring condemnation because there's freedom in Christ and Christ died for everyone who's committed acts of evil. You are free in Christ. You are loved in Christ. You are watched, washed clean. You will see Jesus one day in his kingdom. But what we cannot do is call evil good. We must stand. I believe this is one of the most important human rights issues of our time. We must lovingly, with a spirit of gentleness, stand for the unborn and label it what it is. It's wrong, it's sinful, and it's evil. And I share that because the why behind we should grow in the fruit of goodness is because we have to fight evils like that. Not just things like abortion, but other evils like oppression and caring for the poor and all kinds of selfishness that causes different kinds of oppression and lies of the enemy. I mean, the enemy is the great mislabeler and what he's going to try to do in culture and what he has done well is he mislabels evil for good. And we need to push back against darkness. We need to push back against fatherlessness. We need to push back against drug addiction. We need to push back against sexual abuse. We need to fight these evils. And you know one of the ways that God chose to fight these evils? Good men and good women empowered by the Holy Spirit who will stand up in love and stand against this kind of darkness. And I pray that Restoration Road, the why behind that, that you're willing to be exhausted for good to fight evil. Because I'm telling you, many of you will attest that in your life, there's people who fought for good when there was much evil in your life. Listen, many of you know my story. I went through very dark times in a very broken family growing up, and I just thought of this today. But there were a lot of good people who stepped in and fought against the evil of abandoning fathers and drug addiction, uh, selfish drug addiction. And they did good. And they gave me a home at times. And they gave me jobs at times. And I'm sure much of your story is in the brokenness. There were good people who stepped in in the power of Christ and said, I'm going to fight evil with love. Amen? The why is because God has called us to fight these kind of evils. Amen? Please hear that restoration road. We will waste our lives and our times here if we adopt a self-serving gospel and not one we lay down our lives to fight evil. And my third point, and I want to give you just one application point here. How do we cultivate the fruit of goodness in our life? And I want you to hear the, the first point. Know that the heart of Jesus beats in your spiritual chest. Know that the heart of Jesus beats in your spiritual chest. One of my all-time favorite, uh, favorite actors is Denzel Washington. I, want to, I would have named my son Denzel but I don't get name picking around here. Natalie just throws my names to the side. She says they're too masculine. And we had two girls, so she... Uh... 
which I love with all my heart. But I love Denzel Washington. He's just a gifted actor. For those who don't know the story of Denzel, when he was 19 or 20, he was in his mom's barbershop. And he was sitting there waiting for his mother. And a woman got up in the middle of the barbershop and prophesied to him right in the middle of the barbershop. And he said, you're going to go out in the world and you're going to preach to thousands. And Denzel was like, man, I'm just waiting for my mom. Of course, it wasn't exactly the way he saw it. He would preach through his art, through acting, many messages of love and for many good things. That was God's plan for his life. But has anyone seen John Q? John Q is a fantastic movie that shows a lot of good things. For those who don't know, Denzel played a man named John Q who was a good everyday father. He worked hard for his family, didn't make much money, never sold out for money. He worked very hard. And one day he was watching his son play baseball and his son all of a sudden passed out and had to be rushed to the hospital. And within one day, they told him that his son needed a new heart. So all of a sudden, he's thinking, at least my insurance will cover this. He finds out that his insurance won't even cover his son getting a new heart. So he's in this massive dilemma where he loves his child with all his heart, but his insurance won't cover it. He doesn't have the money to do it. So he gets a little dramatic. He holds up the hospital. He says, listen, I don't want to hurt nobody, but my son's getting a heart. They couldn't find a, a heart that matched up with his son and get it soon enough so his son could live. So without his son knowing, he went in the last time and he's talking to his son, which would be the last thing he ever said to his boy. His son doesn't know he's about to give him his heart. And he gives him, it's important to listen to those who have gone before you when they tell you how to live a good life when they're in Christ. And he starts to give them lessons on goodness. What does it mean to be good? And the first thing he says, all you moms will love this. Always listen to your mother. Tell her you love her every day. He said, treat women like princesses because they are. All the ladies in the house say, yeah. <laughs> he says, son, when you say you're going to do something, do it. Because a man's word is his bond. Don't smoke. Be kind to people. And if you fight, fight like a man. And this is the beautiful thing he says to his son. Don't get caught in the bad things, son. There are so many great things for you. Don't get caught in the bad things. And he finally ends it in this beautiful way. He says, I will never leave you, and I will always be with you. He was passing on these good things to his son to live a good life, to walk in the fruit of goodness. Now, how do we see this artistic narrative through biblical and gospel lenses? We're that boy. In the need of a new heart, many of us today, those works of the flesh, the things we've desired, the things we've done, our heart sometimes longs for things that are written in selfishness. 
We battle that, the flesh and the spirit. We say, Jesus, we cry out, Jesus, I need a new heart. I need a new heart. And just like Denzel gave his heart to put it in his son's chest, Jesus took his very heart and he gave us new hearts and he put his own heart in our chest. He didn't say, I make you better. He said, I'll make you new. New creations that love, new creations that do good. And that died and wicked heart is taken out and the heart of Christ is put within a new creation to live with goodness. The greatest heart, a heart only of good, the heart of Jesus Christ is put in our spiritual chest so we can walk in goodness, amen? That is the only hope we have, is that Christ has given us new hearts to do good and to fight evil. Our, our family, our God is good. Our Savior is good. And we can do good because Jesus' heart beats in our chest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, I just pray that you would help us to good. To grow in the fruit of goodness. As the scriptures say, to walk in a manner that is worthy of our calling as sons and daughters of you. In holiness in goodness, in love, in bearing each other's burdens, Lord, in sharing our goods, in pushing through the exhaustion to do good, starting with our brothers and our sisters and our fathers and our mothers and our sons and daughters in Christ, even here at Restoration Road. And I even want to pray we have our, our sisters in Christ here from the First Parish Congregational. I pray for that church too that they grow in goodness and you hear their prayer and you bless them and cause that church to overflow with goodness and grace, Lord Jesus. But I pray that all your churches around here, that we would become lights in the darkness, Lord, that we'd overcome evil with good. Help our cowardly hearts to be courageous, Lord, because the truth that we speak can set so many people free and bring them to your son, Jesus, Lord. Please hear our prayer. Amen.